Welcome to the Raindrop Corner Podcast, an affirming space for people who seek to enrich the human experience. This is a place where real-life superheroes and cool creatives get to share their magic without censorship. And I'm your host, Kay. This week's guest was Keegan Anfuso, who is just an amazing human being. She is a filmmaker and a producer, most notably for her documentary, The Gray Area, and we have to give it up for her. Um, This podcast has actually been a bit delayed. So since then, it's won several film festival awards. So we love Keegan and all that she's doing for filmmaking spaces and just producing projects with really powerful narratives, narratives that people need to see and that aren't put out in the open all that often. So without further ado, here is an ode to our guest. The monolith was too high for me to climb. My foot wedged into a groove. All I needed to do was jump. Against the backdrop of scoffs and laughs, I nearly slipped. Did you know that taunts echo? They spill in and out of consciousness, evaporate into the mere haze of peering eyes, microscopic droplets crashing into pointed finger. Fingers. Clawed fingers. Like Captain Hook, they beckoned me with a threat. If you don't get in line, you'll get left behind. To them, I was a shrill insult, encapsulated into human form. Planted into the body of a girl who wasn't dainty, she was offensive and free, ripping off dresses and dispelling someone else's dream to be. Few wanted to see, see. Not just stargazing, gazing, or postulating. I wanted them to see me. A solemn declaration turned bright as a reaching around of hands occurred. I captured it on film, disseminated pieces of a centrifugal hole, cutting down to bare bone. The Elysium of womanhood. A place so beautiful, it scorches the sun to dust, and the world looks so small from up here. I am the woman who traversed a monolith, hands and feet carrying me, weariness replaced by fullness, a place filled with gardens and braces, and a home. I'm home. I captured it on film, memories etched into my mind, taking in the wonder of being me, transmuting uncertainty and brushing off debris. I found the key under floorboards of my own decree. I climb monoliths here. Today we have Keegan Anfuso, and I said that right, correct? I mean, Anfuso, Anfuso, you can go either way. <laughs> what is the Anf- way you... It's per- like, Anfuso <laughs> is like when I'm feeling really fancy, you know, and I want it to seem like, you know, I- I'm very interesting, you know, but Anfuso is like the... I think that's the appropriate, I would say that that's probably the appropriate way. Okay, so it is Anfuso, but are you feeling extra special fancy today? I think we're going to go with Anfuso today. Okay, okay. Yeah, (laughs) we're going to use Anfuso today. Um, Keegan, it's awesome to have you on the show. And I was introduced to your work specifically when I saw the trailer and also clips from the documentary that you worked on, The Gray Area which is a documentary that focuses on Western culture's propensity to basically judge and criticize women who present in a masculine way and what that 
is like for them as they kind of walk through their daily judgment. But you do a lot more than that. You have studied film and digital media. You've done a ton of work in film. Where would you say you have evolved in terms of your art and yourself as a person? Wow. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, it was okay. probably a big uh, first question. No, it's, okay. it's okay. Just right out of the gate. It's like <laughs> heavy existential, what are you doing with yourself in this very strange time? Um, <laughs> uh, I'm kind of like a, I am a compartmentalizer. Uh, so I will compartmentalize my answer. A little bit in terms of work I think that well I can only speak for me personally so I I first want to super clarify that although I have been working in um, you know video production for 11 12 years now um, I have primarily been in that industry within Florida so I have not had you know, the expansive experience of, you know, Atlanta or LA or New York. So I can't provide that perspective at all on what occurred, you know, or what it was like to be in those spaces working in the industry from that, you know, in that, in that, um, at that level. Mm -hmm. What I primarily do within, within Florida, specifically Jacksonville, um, is more like corporate commercial video production, which is honestly like, you know, it's for me and where I'm located, like that's the moneymaker mm-hmm. much more than, you know, film and TV. Those things happen. Like we do get to work on, you know, every now and then, you know, there will be a larger film project or it will be, you know, um, a larger commercial or something episodic, but it's kind of few and far between. So I specifically want to note that what I'm talking about is working in kind of a corporate commercial space um, professionally in video production. Pandemic situation, for me, I, I was freelance for 10 years up until the pandemic. So I was a freelance producer, director, and editor, um, and I worked on a kind of, you know, a range of different things uh, for you know, that entire time. So sometimes, like I said, it would be a film, it would be a commercial, it would be a corporate promotion, it would be just a little small business story, whatever it was, you know, music video. When the pandemic started, I felt very uneasy. There was a lot of conversation going on about, you know, is production going to totally shut down? Are we going to be able to still produce stuff? Um, You know, all of the things that I had kind of been questioned at the time, am I going to go after working on the show or if I, am I going to go after, you know, uh, another, you know, another, another film gig or commercial, whatever it was, you know, all those things that were question marks just kind of got put on pause. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously at the same time, there was a production company here in Jacksonville that is, you know, kind of, you know, it's, it's ran by somebody that I really respect, uh, who has, you know, since become a very good friend, you know, um, but he had this opening for a producer and uh we started talking and I felt like with everything being so uncertain and so strange Mm -hmm. it'd be a really good idea for me to latch on to something a little bit more reliable so all of that is to say like that I took a job like a legitimate you know scheduled job for when I say legitimate I don't mean freelancing is not legitimate meaning like 
I have an hourly, you know, like, yeah, a, it's like stable. an hourly rate, a salary, mm-hmm. a stability, you know, and that was something that I just really never imagined myself going back to. Mm-hmm. Really, for, for the most part, because I didn't think that that was going to be, that that would exist where I am. I never really imagined outside of working at, like, you know, say a news station, um, that I would have the opportunity to be a full-time, you know, producer, director um, in the video production space. I didn't see that as a possibility where we were, you know, where I am in, in Jacksonville in, or in Florida. I just didn't see that job you know, ever being a thing, um, outside of freelancing and contracting. So, you know, it came available. I thought that it was just this kind of alignment of the universe, because if I was going to commit myself to, you know, if I was going to commit myself to a particular company, this was the one. And, uh, so that was a big shift for me. I, I decided to leave freelancing. I left you know, being a being a freelance producer, and there's a lot that comes with that. You know, um, I don't have as much freedom to take the kind of projects that I normally would. You know, you normally you can pick and choose, right? Like mm-hmm. there would be like a selection. You know, oh, do I feel like doing this? Do I feel like doing this? Do I want to do this? And that kind of goes away. Um, you know, when you commit to one particular one particular company, right? Mm-hmm. So you're on the jobs that that company is is doing so anyway not to i could go spiral off into those details but that really the the big shift for me was leaving freelance going to a scheduled (laughs) more regimented hourly version you know of a nine to five version kind of it's more like sometimes nine to five sometimes eight to midnight sometimes you know eight days a week, <laughs> like someday, you know, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it it depends on what's going on. But anyway, that was a big shift for me. Uh, the kind of work was also a big shift. So, a creative challenge was how do we keep creating? How do we keep producing content when we can't go on set? We can't go capture, mm-hmm. you know, or we can't capture. We, I guess that's not true. We couldn't. We couldn't just not capture. There were things that we could do, that things that we could produce, but it became this constant creative conversation between, you know, myself and my team and myself and our clients. How do we create content without production days, without producing? And we started to get really heavy into animation as an alternative mm-hmm. to deliver information. We also started going through, you know, asset libraries and trying to be as creative as possible with you know, footage that we already had, but COVID messaging became this really big thing mm-hmm. where most clients were saying, we've got to put out something about COVID. We have to talk about the pandemic. We have, so uh, I did a lot of uh, hospital work, like a lot of hospital or medical sector work mm-hmm. came out of it. So for me, for me, my experience with where I am, the work, there was this fear that the work was going to go away and mm-hmm. we were all going to be just lost, you know, and then that ramped up and turned into more work than I had had going on ever, you know, like this was this, it turned into like the busiest, honestly, that I have ever been and kind of the most creatively challenged that I have ever been was during this time. 
because it was, I couldn't, everything was new. Everything was different. Everything had to be done differently. Everything was now harder. Things had more steps. Uh, more care had to be taken. Um, things had to be broken down differently. Information had to be presented differently. Very particular words had to be used in everything. It was a constantly creatively challenging time, and it still is. Like we're still in it, you know, trying yeah, to we are. trying to figure that out. Because now we're returning back. Now we're now we're going back to being on set, and that's another. It's another shift, you know. Now now it's um. Everything went in the direction of let's plan to produce content where you know it it is relevant. It is COVID themed. It is COVID safe. Um, but also we want it to be timeless. We don't want it to not exist after COVID's over, you know, all these marketing conversations. And now that things are opening, you know, back up again, we can go back on set. And so now it's like this backlog of ideas, this wave of ideas that all of our clients like put on a back burner a year to a year and a half ago that now they want done immediately. So it's just kind of like a weird flood of pandemic related shifting, really. It's nice to get that perspective on it because I feel like sometimes that's a conversation that people aren't having is necessarily when the work is available and you suddenly have all this added detail that you have to add to it to compensate for the fact that we're in a pandemic and now the way that you're creating the project is suddenly an improvised way. And you can see that with every single thing that's done, like in every sector. In award shows, like specifically the latest Oscar show that was had and the alterations and changes that they had to make to that, although there were issues there before the pandemic. But you see that kind of weave its way into every into every avenue of what it is to be an artist, especially in your field where you're creating content in more of a corporate setting where you have a customer because people's businesses are still going to hopefully be there. Yeah, for sure. And um, there also was this, transparently, it's like an eggshell conversation to, to really talk about. And the reason that I say that is because from my perspective, my experience with this circumstance that we were all thrown into, I feel it's a weird thing to say that it was like some kind of positive time for you in any way you know because there were just so many people tragically and horrifically affected mm -hmm. by what happened um that are still tragically and horrifically affected and I don't want to at all seem insensitive to any of that because there were just so many so many so many so many people that were devastated by what happened and so it's uncomfortable to talk about it's uncomfortable to a degree to like talk about that I felt prepared almost in a sense for what occurred because as freelancers, we live in a state of always trying to find the next job, understanding mm -hmm. that our, uh, our financial stability can kind of go away at any minute. You know, we are always kind of, or we were, you know, I'm not freelancing anymore, but always like kind of riding this like wave that goes away at any moment and then you got to catch this next one and um you know padding the bank account and preparing for circumstances preparing for nothing to come your way for you know several months and how do you you know how do you set yourself up for that um 
also being in the mindset constantly of finding work, always finding, you know, be always being after your next thing. So when we entered into this situation and, and I watched a lot of the people around me that were saying, you know, what are you going to do? They were asking, what are you going to do? Like, are you freaking out? Are you panicking? And I'm like, for the first time ever, I feel like I have an advantage here. Mm-hmm. You know, typically, typically I'm being talked to as like the one that doesn't have the foundation, the one that is, oh, I don't know how you do freelance. The stress of that is so crazy. And how do you, you know, how do you have stability? How do you, I got to know where my next check's coming from. I got to know where my, you know, that where I'm going tomorrow, I got, I got to make sure I can financially plan, you know, all these things are, that's the typical conversation is like, mm-hmm. how do you survive freelancing, you know, but then the conversations became something totally different where not only was I the busiest that I had ever been, I was also validated my job, like my work, what I do was validated in a way that had never been validated before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people in my life that used to think that it was kind of like, this silly creative dream to get involved in video production and try to make that like a like a career try to make that your job you know there were just so many people in my life that it's not that they looked down on it but they just didn't really it was kind of like yeah that's filler until you really figure out your job though right like that that's like a that's something that you're doing as you're pretend you're turning like a hobby into a job is what you're doing like really you're a hobbyist that makes money sometimes and eventually you're going to have to get a job. Like that was the nature. Those people turned into, I need your help. You know, I need your skill. I need to know what you know. How do I use Zoom to reach my, you know, to reach my, uh, my staff? Or how do I keep teaching and use Zoom? How do I download mm-hmm. videos? How do I share these videos? How, do, how can I create something at home? You know, and so I became a totally different um existence almost to these particular you know to these particular people and to my clients you know they're calling and they're asking for us in a way that they'd never asked for before because they had to learn to an extent some of the video production skill set and they realized how difficult it can be mm-hmm. to watch artists and artistry be suddenly valued in a way that we've been asking for the world to see forever, you know? I definitely agree with that. And I think it was nice to see. Um, I had a recent podcast with a comedian who also was a teacher during the pandemic and had been a teacher for a while. And we talked a bit about the respect that teachers got and a bit that a bit about the respect that he started to get as a comedian, which led into a bigger conversation. People who are in fields where they provide very useful things, but people see them as an everyday thing. People see them as a colorful, mundane thing. So they don't assign value to it. And sometimes they do that with artwork. There is a lot that goes into creating a movie, creating a commercial, creating any kind of promotional material, such as making sure the lighting is right, getting the right kind of lights, um, making sure you're aware of how to shoot this person, the kind of lens you're using. And you're, that's not something, like you said, that a lot of people think about. And the one thing, well, there were many things that I think pandemic that it did teach us. And I think part of that was merit. 
for people and creation in general and teachers and teachers you know, we can't talk about that without saying teachers and healthcare workers too you know like mm-hmm. we well does you know some of us knew before this that those people were heroes in their own industries you know mm-hmm. or their own fields um and i feel like that was a that became wider spread knowledge and very clear um how significant those fields are and the and, and you know how difficult and challenging and intense those jobs get and are hope that it leads to um paying them more money I hope so too. I feel like there are more conversations about it, just like even on the state and government levels in terms of different jobs that maybe weren't considered as needing more money. There are more talks about doing that, more talks about doing better for schools and also kind of redefining how we have resources available with everybody having gone virtual for so long. And then as you're starting to come back to it, people seeing the validity in virtual or even you mentioned that you started using animations in your work people seeing the value of animators which is another um, segment of artistry that a lot of times doesn't get the love that it needs unless it's like an animator that happens to be working on a video game or a dreamworks or pixar movie or something for disney and It's like you have to be in a certain pinnacle in a lot of people's eyes for them to see you as doing this for a living versus having a hobby. It's cool that you pointed that out. What led you to artistry? That's a hard story to like make concise uh, because I feel like, right, I can only speak for me, but I feel like all artists, most artists, most creatives, they've been developing that since they were born right Mm -hmm. like everything everything that has happened in their entire life led them to being a creative to being and to being an artist you know so for me I could say you know the things that I was doing when I was a kid you know led me to being a creative it led me to being an artist I guess and and it's weird I feel like submerged in commercial and corporate and business video production at this point that it is kind of a strange feeling to use the word artist but there is artistry you know in in all of that and I am an advocate for that that um you know video production is a is a creative industry despite what kind of content it is that you are creating it it takes it does take an artistry to it and it takes a skill set but when I was in high school and nobody had a good high school experience, I had an extremely negative one, you know, so I was on the extreme side of a very negative high school experience. But one of the positives for me was uh, getting into photography classes. Mm -hmm. I actually wanted to be a photojournalist. Um, So I, I was really interested in the idea of documenting people and things and places and the the truth of things the reality of things you know kind of just that standard driven to journalism mm-hmm. kind of vibe I like the idea I just love the idea of um showing other people being able to have this tool that showed other people how I saw the world how I saw something happen or what happened the truth of what happened uh, I was very drawn to that um And so I started taking photography classes when I was in high school. Uh, My original plan at that time was I was also um, 
pretty athletic as a as a teenager mm-hmm. that's another side story um <laughs> because you know once i hit high school it was really hard for me to be athletic again because i was having a really extremely negative you know it was on the extreme side of bullying when i was in high school so mm-hmm. i um was really pulling away from a lot of things but i but i thought my i could take my uh my my natural draw to like athleticism, mm-hmm. my love for athleticism, you know, and my love for the idea of like documenting. I also was um, I I was I think it was yeah AP like literature classes and writing classes and you know things like so I was putting all these things together as far as uh, English literary writing creative writing photography athleticism and i'm like what do you know i love all these things like what am i gonna how do i put all those things together and so i wanted to actually be a photojournalist for the for the air force that's what i wanted to do i thought it was this way that i could travel to interesting places or just you know i'm kind of one of those people i want to go anywhere i don't, I don't really care where it is mm-hmm. i i love the idea of going anywhere you tell me that i'm going anywhere most boring place on the planet <laughs> and i'm still gonna say like i'll find something to come back with you know i'll find something there that will be interesting at least to me you I know like even that. if i come back and i just say yes i have confirmed that is the most boring place on the planet <laughs> that's still you know that's still enough for me and so that's what i wanted to do and um i kind of set myself up for that track i was taking the photo classes i was performing really well in the um you know the ap uh, English classes and AP Lit, and I was uh, starting to meet with recruiters, um, but I was actually shut down for all of that because the recruiter on our, I think it was like our third meeting, um, said that I was too obvious. So this was this was um, kind of in the whole conversations of like, oh, don't ask, don't tell is like a thing. Like mm-hmm. you can go, but you can't, you know, you can't be open. You can't talk about it, you can't whatever. And my recruiter, you know, he just basically sat down and he was like, look, you know, you're, you're too obvious. Um, you're going to have a really rough time looking the way that you do, being so obvious the way that you are. So unless you want to, you know, kind of feminine yourself up a little bit and um, be a whole lot more quiet about you know your your personal lifestyle there this is not going to work for you and there wasn't even really time for me to think about that because I just got basically I got rejection letters I got you know the military the army the air force they all um, rejected me at that point saying that I was not a candidate or I can't remember what they, the words they used or whatever, but I wasn't like a qualified candidate basically. Mm-hmm. And so that was like, I'm too, I'm too rough for the military, <laughs> you know, like that's, yeah. that was kind of, wow. Okay. Uh, that's kind of where I thought I would find, you know, at that age and at that time, I thought that that's like the place for me. Right. Like I'm super athletic. I'm like super adventurous. I, you know, want to take photos of all these places all over. I'm not, I don't care where you send me. Um, I love, you know, and I love the idea of the, the whole thing at the time. And it was like, no, all those things actually make you a bad candidate for us. Like, oh, okay, great. So 
from there, or I, I was accepted into SCAD for my photography portfolio, but I didn't go. I, I, did, I decided not to go because I was pretty terrified at the idea of going to a new place surrounded by strangers, another school. Again, I'd had like a really terrible high school experience. So I didn't want to do that. I rejected that um, just basically out of like, out of fear. I didn't want to have to go to another, I didn't want to start a whole new life elsewhere where I had to play. It didn't even cross my mind. Like other places, other cities would be different or other, you know, other areas would be different. None of that crossed my mind. I just thought like, I really just am not up for being submerged in another school uh, where I'm going to just be ridiculed and criticized and made fun of and bullied and until, you know, they, they get tired of it. You know, I, I didn't want to do it. So I didn't. Um, then I, then I went into, um, I just, I just worked. I worked in a ton of call centers and uh, at the same time, because I was young and I was young, I was queer I was in a small town, still technically, you know, Mm -hmm. Jacksonville. You find other, you know, for me, it was you find queer friends and you party. And that's kind of what, that's kind of what occurred is I worked in a call center. I was probably dealing with, you know, depression and stuff that I didn't really understand at the time. I I mean, I know I was, right? Like, I'd been rejected. I didn't know where I was going. Mm -hmm. I I was disconnected from this creative side of my life. All of these things uh, were going on, and I just kind of, I really did, I feel like looking back now, I I feel like I made the decision that I wanted things to be really easy. I wanted to just be surrounded by people that liked me, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to have as much fun as possible because I had been absolutely miserable like deeply deeply miserable and afraid for my own life for you know in that high school setting for uh you know four to five years at that point and mm-hmm. I, I you know I just wanted to yeah I just wanted to be around people who liked me people who were nice to me people who were happy to see me and be around me people who made me feel like I was kind of safe um and I wanted to just be doing that all of the time you know, so I totally disconnected from any sense of doing something with my life at that point. I, I just completely went off of that deep end of I'm going to just work a job and I'm going to just be with these people, uh, you know, that are like me. Like that's that's all that I was doing. And uh, in that in that space, um, even though it was kind of, you know, it was definitely a shit show of a space. So somebody in that space uh, that I was close to um, bought me a small, like, handheld video camera as a gift. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't really remember, I can't really remember what it was, or I think maybe I had had a conversation about being into cameras, and I I had always really liked film or, or whatever, and I think this person at the time just out of a kindness was like, here, I thought that you might, you know, enjoy having this. And I started filming everything, you know, I just started capturing our, us all hanging out, us doing things, uh, us, you know, going places, going on, going on adventures, partying, uh, just hanging out and, and being together. And then back then it was like, I had like a Sony bio, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had windows, like Windows Movie Maker or something. Like, <laughs> That's it, throwback it was, right there. 
Yeah, like super throwback. <laughs> I'm like showing that I'm 35 years old right now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and then I would, oh my God, and they were terrible. They were like hack jobs, but I would put all the clips in there and then I would take a song and put it underneath. And I remember like deciding I was going to do something with this video for the first time and like having no idea what I was doing. And it, and it took like five days, you know, of just like, being so obsessed with this thing to figure out like oh i can put i can put music here and i can put like video up here and like oh what's this thing do and like i can cut it up and like whatever and like i said they were hack jobs but and also back then was myspace mm -hmm. so myspace was where <laughs> i remember lived, right? myspace yeah yeah well we all do Thank thankfully it forgot us because that's all man i have like a deep fear and, and i'm terrified one day I'm going to, like, do something noteworthy and be in an interview with somebody like, I don't know, like, Ellen. And Ellen's going to be like, oh, and we found your MySpace. <laughs> you know, let's just pull that up real quick. And I'm going to be like, that's it. I'm I'm going to cancel myself. I'm leaving the stage, you know? Like, I would, you know, hack these videos up and I'd put them on MySpace. And, of course, it was just, like, just our friends. But people, like, they loved them. They were terrible. They were so terrible. But <laughs> they, you know, my friends would get so hyped up about seeing themselves, like, living their own life. That's really what it was. It was like, oh, my God, I forgot that happened. Or, like, oh, my God, like, that, that's, that's hilarious. I, di I didn't realize that was going on, like, while I, you know, it was like these, I would recap them every, every month. I would do, like, this little recap. And I did this for years. And I would just post, like, here's what March looked like. Here's what you know, June looked like, here was our summer, or here was our, you know, our trip to, you know, Miami or whatever, and, uh, or Fort Lauderdale, and, and it, it had such a, it was interesting, it just had such an effect on everybody, and I became more obsessed with the effect that it had on the, on them, than the making of it at all, like, the whole time I would be cutting them, I'd be like, oh, man, this is, they're going to, this is going to make them laugh, or this is going to be, you know, uh, this is going to be emotional, or they're going to be so pissed that I put this in, <laughs> you know, like, I, I would just like, you know, be crafting it and putting it out there. And it was so fun. You know, like, that was just, that was just fun. And people would get so stoked when I would post it, and, and they'd be sharing it back and forth, talking about it. And then I would go, you know, I would go to a party, or I would go to an event, or I'd go see somebody, and they would be like, dude, I love that last one like that last one was so great like I, i've got to save that forever i can't wait to watch that in like 10 years um now luckily myspace deleted them all <laughs> none of us can go back and see what we were doing because you know i can't say it started there you know but i didn't realize that was a job it never came into my head like what i was doing was something that i could actually go and do as a job i could capture stories i could you know i could give this thing to people um i could I, you know i could create these things that made people excited to to look at their own life their own story their own job their, you know so the documentarian i feel like was definitely born in high school when i was thinking about being a photojournalist but it really like the fire was lit when i created these stupid you know videos of me and my friends and like I saw their reactions to these videos like that's when it it was like oh okay um then I kept you know there wasn't really a clear 
oh, now the next step is this. Like, mm-hmm. I had no idea. I just, you, you know, I kept working in call centers all the way up until, honestly, like, I was working at a call center, and we we had a uh, nurse practitioner on site. And something, uh, I, wear, I was wearing contacts back then, and something, like, got into my eye, and it was driving me crazy. So I went down to the nurse practitioner, and she was a very nice lady, but she was talking to me and not paying attention and she grabbed the ear infection medicine that she would you would put like the the mild acid that you would put in like an ear infection yeah she put it into my eye oh wow um instead of the 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 eye wash Mm -hmm. and um so that turned into like a whole scandal and um gave me a small settlement amount of money for what happened to me and i simultaneously realized that Jacksonville had opened an art institute and it had a film and digital media program and so I took that money and I used it to cover my first loan to go to film school that's like literally how it how I ended up in film school and then I just kind of walked in film school and was like I don't know a damn thing like I don't know (laughs) all I know is Windows Movie Maker and, you know, I had, like, a, a mini DV camera, and uh, so so I was a total blank, like, blank slate when I, I knew a little bit about cameras, obviously, because I'd, you know, taken camera classes, but blank slate, walked into, walked into the Art Institute, and um, from there started the whole, like, learning the actual technical side of, like, filmmaking and storytelling and started connecting myself with other people who were doing, you know, and, and it started there. And then, you know, I just kept going. And now we're in, you know, 11, 12 years later. Um, I actually didn't graduate from the Art Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our particular branch, like, folded in on itself, and it caused a lot of problems. And I was one of the people that um, it caused too many problems for for me to finish. So it, like, pushed me out. So I went to the Art Institute for two years, and then when that all happened, I just, like, immediately went, you know, I had kind of, like, part-time supplemental jobs, but I went freelance. I just started, like, jumping on. At that point, it was, like, I'll PA for you. I will assistant camera for you. I'll, I will assistant edit. I'll edit weddings. I'll do, you know, and, and then it just, like, that's when, like, so how do I make money doing this started? Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of, like, layered its way all the way to, all the way to here. And that's like the short version. That is the shortest version <laughs> of like how, like that is such a hard. It's it's a hard thing because it's not like, it's not like oh there was this moment, this one day, and I was like there it is. Like I'm a creative now. You know, it's like this whole long path of. It it was always in the background. I just didn't know what to do with it. And to be quite fair, like I still have days where I don't know what to do with it. And I think that's part of being a creative in any capacity, in any environment. And what you said is completely on the nose. Everybody who calls themselves an artist or a creative or does something that involves them making something. Normally, there's tendrils of that that has been there since they were young. It may be in ways that that don't seem quite as large and maybe it becomes larger as you get older and closer to actually creating or making those things or that thing. With that being said, what is your vision for you and your art and what you do? You are like back to back to <laughs> with these like 
I feel like I lied because I'm like, we're just going to have a casual conversation. Literally, I am contemplating the meaning of my life on a Sunday afternoon. That's what you got me doing. This is one of those questions where I could totally like pretend that I have it all together and I could make up, you know what I mean? I could respond to you and be like, well, I'm going to be in video production and I see the next, you know, 10 years looking like this and I'd like to make this or I'd like to do this, but I'm going to, I'm going to take it in a little bit of a different direction. I apologize for that. I hope it's not like derailing. No, I appreciate the honesty. Also, it might be featured by my cat who really wants cuddles right now. So you might hear me out. That's okay. (laughs) That's okay. I, I love, and honestly, that cat probably has more interesting things to say, in my opinion, than, than I do. So if we want to shift focus to the cat, I support that. <laughs> I, again, I can only speak for me, and I am, like, so my personal, you know, experience, I'm not going to say blanket all creative struggle with this, but the ones that, the, the people that I am close to in my life that are creatives, they have chosen to, you know, pursue a creative path career whatever that you know whatever that is in in a creative industry they do feel like what I'm about to explain um and they just might have to you know different wording way I explain it but I was having this conversation I, I have an ongoing open conversation about this with uh a um director and director of photography that I get to work with quite often and who I have a ton of respect for uh shout out to Patrick Berry if he happens to ever listen to this, he's, he's a fantastic person. Um, but him and I were talking about how to, how to set, like, how do you set measurable goals for success as a creative? How do you plan your future as a, as a creative? And why is that, you know, why is that so difficult? And also, you know, it's kind of the nature for, us as creatives to even though even though we can we we are going from job to job and like being able to sustain ourselves being able to being able to be financially stable is like a huge achievement like in a creative field period right like that's that's the success in itself Mm -hmm. um why are we always all feeling so failed all the time you know like no, no matter what like we you know we give our whole existence and soul into into projects and we complete them and then we go eh, you know eh, and and we go to the next thing you know we don't why do we not ever feel closer to being successful or comfortable saying that we are successful or comfortable with milestones you know we're always just feeling like oh we're so far away from what we actually want to be doing and it's like okay well what do we actually want to be doing and we can barely answer that question too, you know, cause, mm-hmm. and, and so we, we navigated that conversation. We try to have it often. I, I think we always just kind of fall into it. We run into each other, say a person who has a dream for a business, right? Like a person, like, let's just use, for example, if somebody's dream is to open a coffee shop, right. Mm-hmm. And they can sit down and they can say, my dream is to open a coffee shop. And this is where I want to put it. And it's it's going to go right here. And this is how much money I need to do that. And then I'm going to employ this many people. And this is the kind of environment that I want to create. And then, you know, for me to be, have a sustainable life, for me to have a good, comfortable life, which is also something I want, I want to make this much money 
you know, each year from that coffee spot. And if we decided, you know, if we decided multiple locations, that's overachieving, right? Mm -hmm. And so as that thing is going on, they're looking at it, they're like, oh man, I've got the building, I got the coffee shop, I've got the employees, I'm making the money. Like they see these success points because they have it all mapped out, right? Mm -hmm. What is that for a creative? What is that for like a filmmaker or a director, you know, in our industry? Like how many films is it? What film is it? Is it one film? Is it the X amount of commercials? Is it making X amount of money per year? Is it working on a episodic series at some point? Or like, where does, is it winning an Oscar? You know, like what, at what point do you get to where you can say like, okay, I, I've, I've achieved the success metric, you know? And how do you, define those success metrics and the only thing that we've been able to come to in that conversation is like I think we have to look at it almost like multiple businesses that we're that we're starting right like so on one side we have financial stability like right on one side we have like we're like little entrepreneurs almost in a sense if you want to think about it right like so uh on one side financial stability okay we can handle that part you know we can we can set a goal that we are going to establish ways to make decent money doing what we're doing. And that in itself is like, in our perspective, like step one, because you can't really do all those other things. Um, as far as like, you know, uh, produce your own films or, you know, write your own stuff or, you know, get on the, you know, create something major that, you know, is, is from your heart, all that stuff. You can't really properly do that or even have the energy to do that if you're if you if you can't stabilize your own life if you're too worried about how you're gonna pay for your life you know it's real hard to show up and passionate about something you know creative if if you're so stressed about that so like you know step one is there's your success metric like line yourself up stack your stuff organize your stuff um you know, or acquire enough professional client, you know, uh, client, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, but, um, you know, stack your client roster enough where you're financially set. And that in itself is like a hurdle. Like that's your, that's one of your success metrics. Mm -hmm. For some people that might be where they stop. That might be like, this is fantastic. Like I can do this forever. I can do this, you know, for 20, 30 years and just keep building my client roster. And I'm happy just working in video production. And that's great. That's, that's amazing. You know, for somebody that gets there for me, that was just one of the steps was being able to be financially comfortable doing what I was doing. And transparently it took me 11, 11 years to get there. Now that said, I live in a place where these jobs aren't abundant. You know, these it's not like we've got huge productions going on and a ton of production companies and a lot of opportunity. Like that's not where we live. So there was a lot of like make something where there's nothing mm-hmm. to to get you know to get this far. Um, and then maybe thinking about like I said, everything's like a little business. So for example, the film that I'm working on that I've been working on right now that might be my success metric at this time. My success metric might be finish this film 
and then the next step is what I want that film to do and try to, you know, measure, measure that stuff out. You know, how many people do I want to see it? How many places do I want it to, you know, show or like, you know, maybe my next success metric is like, I want to finish this film and I want it to go to a film festival. Like I want it to premiere at a reputable film festival. And like, there's my, you know, but once that's done, it's not like I can say, all right, I did it. And, and now that's done and I'm fulfilled and I feel like I am achieved as a, as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. It, you know, what's going to happen. The next thing is what's next. What's the next thing you're going to do, you know? And now I got to come up with another success metric or I got to come up with another thing. Um, in, in, that is like reachable and workable and like, what is that going to be? And so I think that's why as creatives, like this question is a really, really hard one because every creative endeavor that we go on, every, we'll call it like passion project or every, um, you know, next major thing that we want to do, it's its own little business kind of that we've got to like follow through all the way to the end and then go to the next one. And we have no idea when that stops. We have no idea, you know? It is. It's a constant. I've. It's a constant journey. And I appreciate the transparency in how you answered it. Because it's easy to say, well, these are my goals. Or, you know, I want to win an award from, like, a reputable award show for something that I've directed and produced. Or whatever it might be. And you're right. While it's great to set reachable goals and to have them and to map them out i've just realized as of late the pressure in people who create to compare themselves to others we always feel like we have to make the next best thing because of the pressure that we're getting from other places when we're not at a certain echelon according to other people's boxes that they try to put us in we are striving to get to that box and then once we get to that box we get pressure from the same people who said that we were just hobbyist to make something that's either just as good or better. And because of that, it becomes like this never ending cycle, which much to your point, like what is success and what does that look like? Which I'm sure is different for every person. For me personally, it has become being comfortable with where I'm at and the pacing in which I create and doing it without having to be like this person or that person and doing it for the enjoyment of it all versus to prove something to someone else or even to myself. Um, but that's a hard place to get to and I feel like everybody's version of that is valid. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think that uh, again, like creative to creative, I think, you know, I think we have like a pretty good understanding <laughs> of how difficult that success metric is. And it is unique to every, and that is such a, I don't know, it's, it's so important to pass on. It's like, I can, I can definitely sit here with you in this conversation and I can say, Comparing ourselves to others is the easiest way 
to feel failed. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it, it, it just is, right? Like, I can sit here and say that. We know that. It is so hard to avoid doing that. That's true. Because think of how I want to, the difference, um, I think the biggest difference between, I'm going to use the word successful, and when I say successful, just because of the nature of our conversation, I'm going to define it as someone who has gotten into this particular industry and they are able to support themselves comfortably with it. Like, that's what I'm going to say we're talking about when Mm -hmm. we talk about success at this point, right? So I think that the major difference that I see between people who are successful in that and people who are unsuccessful in it is um, the people who do it anyway, they execute. They are able to take all the things in their mind that we're all experiencing. We are all as creative. We are all experiencing people. Yes, I'm sure we have people behind us. I don't want to pretend that you and I and either one have Mm -hmm. like a support system. I have an amazing support system at Mm -hmm. this point, right? But there are people in all of our lives as creatives who are telling us that this is not, you know, it's not worthy of our time. It's, we're not good enough. We're, you know, it's not realistic. It's, um, you know, this idea is not good enough to follow through or this thing that we made wasn't that great or, you know, um, you're going to have to get a lot better to make it work. And for me, those voices are, if you're going to live in Jacksonville, you're never going to be able to actually do anything, you know, meaningful with a film career or, you know, members of my family, close friends saying about my own film, like, well, that, you know, that film is only going to matter to so many people or people telling me that the film's not going to matter at all. Like, why would you do, you know, why would you do a film about that? Why would you, you know, who's going to care? Is it really that important? Um, we all have those voices mm-hmm. that are, that are, they're coming from all different places. Unfortunately, sometimes they're coming from people we care about, people we value. Mm-hmm. Uh, and only the, honestly, like only the people that have the ability to fist fight those things back can execute, can make it through. And I think that's a very sad thing because people who, get beaten down by that I think it's really sad to think about all the things that don't get created that don't make it out into the world that you know because that beat them back which I use as more advocacy for like please understand you know anybody that I feel like is is being beat back by those voices I try really hard to say like please even if I don't like your idea even if it's me saying I don't like your idea do it anyway like do it like create it anyway because if you like it and if you're standing behind it if you love it and it speaks to you, somebody else is going to. Somebody else is going to like it too. Um, that's, you know, because there's billions of people in the world and you're not going to be able, you know. So what if one person doesn't like it? Then you're not making it for them. You know, you're, you're making it for, for somebody else. So it, it's hard to sit here and say, like, don't compare yourself to other people because it's creative. And it's competitive. You're going to it's at some point. It's extremely competitive. In... You have to. Even if it's like inspiration, right? Like, I look to, I, just my creative nature is, even though sometimes it, it really does put me in a, oh man, I should be way ahead. You know, I should be way further than where I am. 
I have this way of being motivated by looking at people who are doing things at the level that I really want to be doing things at. So it doesn't really matter to me if I'm, you know, if I'm doing creative research or if I'm, you know, creative planning for even, I don't know, something like telling the story of a construction company in Jacksonville, I'm going to go look at literally the biggest construction company in the United States and, you know, the, the most lucrative, like the, the biggest name I can find, the biggest brand I can find or organization. And I'm going to look at their stuff. I'm going to see what they're doing and I'm going to see how I can, you know, take some inspiration from it. I don't want to copy them, you know, but I want to see how they're producing it, how they're telling stories, how they're putting out their marketing. And then I want to have that in mind, you know, when I'm talking to that small business in, in Jacksonville, because that's how I, and you can say that that's comparing yourself to people with larger budget in bigger places with bigger crew. And like, it's not a fair, it's an easy way to make it feel like, you know, this, uh, far away from where you want to be, but it can be very motivating sometimes. That's true. To, if you do it in a positive way, it definitely can be. Yeah. But I think that's, you know, that's a part of, for me, that might be a part of like something that goes into the, the activism of mentorship, mm -hmm. right? Like I try to communicate, like use, use, when you see somebody else being where you want to be doing something at the level that you want to do it, try as hard as you can with the understanding that it's not easy and, and it's not always going to, you know, sometimes you're just going to be mad and that's okay. You know, whatever, that's mm -hmm. okay. But try really hard to, to use it as inspiration. Try really hard to do that. Like try, try really hard to see it. Like that's just, that's a human being who wanted to do something really similar to what I want to do. And I don't know, maybe they got lucky. Maybe they figured it out. Maybe they just worked really, really hard. Maybe they knew the right people. It doesn't really matter how they got there. They figured it out and they got there and start figuring it out. You, you start figuring out how you're going to get there, you know, use it. Um, instead of, you know, comparing yourself to comparing yourself to it in a way where you feel like, man, they're, they're 10 years younger than I am. And they're already doing something that I want to do. And I'm so far away from it. And I, you know what I mean? Like that, it's easy to fall into that. And I find myself, I'm very guilty of that. You know, at 35, it's really hard to not sit around and feel like, man, I wish I could have that time back in my early twenties that I just wasted into the, into the black. Like I could have been doing something of so much more value. I could have been doing something that mattered. I could have been learning something. I could have been giving back in some way, or I could have been building my skill set. And here I am like behind this whole younger generation now who is like surpassed me in experience and, um, you know, uh, it's, it's easy. It's easy to do. Mm -hmm. But then there's so many more layers to the story of why it took me so long to get here. Right. And there's so much validation and like, it feels really cool to do stuff when you're young. I'm sure that's, that's a big, you know, to do things that are a big deal when you're young, but there's also so much validity in the fact that like, I might stumble upon something after decades and decades of work. I might stumble upon the thing that I feel I was really meant to do when I'm like in my sixties, 
I might do my, this, you know, this big, amazing, well-informed thing that it took me decades of experience to be able to land on, to be able to make, you know, that might happen. And you gotta, I don't know, come to peace with that, I guess, if that's what they say. And we're all just trying to do that. (laughs) That's, you know, we're all just like creative people trying to do something that matters, right? I agree with that. We are. And thank you for your perspective on it, too, because I think that is a piece that a lot of people, including myself, miss. I found myself over comparing myself to people in a negative way. Um, And as a result, I kind of steered away from doing that. But you're right. You do need to do that sometimes to be an informed asset to whatever you're trying to do in your your perspective of taking that and channeling it into motivation into something that is positive and enriching is a good way to navigate that so that you can use it versus you know the flip side of that so keegan thank you so much for just your candor and for speaking with me today i know i feel like i kind of lied to you because i'm like this is gonna be like a casual chill conversation Okay, good. So I'm glad it's not just me. I feel no, I no, feel better we, about we, it. <laughs> we gotta validate each other, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, for 100%. And if individuals want to learn more about you or maybe get involved in some of your projects, whether it's the gray area in terms of reading up on it and kind of looking out for when it gets released, where can they go to do that? Best way, honestly, to kind of keep up with me and know what I'm up to is uh, Instagram seems to be where I am active the most, which is at Keegan Anfuso. I kept it pretty simple. I'm definitely the only uh, <laughs> Keegan Anfuso uh, on Instagram. Um, and the best way to know what's going on with the film is also our Instagram, which is at the gray area film. Uh, every single thing that we do, all of our progress, um, we feature the, the, the stories of others who reach out to us and ask us, um, you know, ask us to, to be a part of the platform. Uh, we do all of that on the, on the Instagram. We keep it pretty up to date. So any information that you would possibly need about what's up with the film will be on Instagram. And if you, uh, if you would like to entertain yourself with passing the time with what I'm up to, then, yeah, you can find <laughs> me on Instagram as well. And I will link all of those below so that everybody can keep up with those. And Keegan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I Listening to you talk is always a joy. I always love your perspective <laughs> on things. You're a cool person. You are. <laughs> and Oh, man, it makes me laugh because, like, the people, it, it's, it's, uh, the people really close to me are just, like, so over me talking all the time. So <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> But yes, you are welcome back anytime. And to all of our listeners, see you next time. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. As always, you are the most beloved and make all of this magic possible. And I have to say, Keegan asked a question that I think is an important one for every creative. Um, Maybe you caught it earlier, but earlier in the podcast, they asked the question, how do we measure success as a creative? 
I think that's such an important concept because in other spaces outside of creative spaces, sometimes the metrics can be a little bit more defined. And as a creative, that's difficult because creativity is so varied and different from person to person. And it definitely can be in other industries as well. But specifically when it comes down to creation, the imposter syndrome is very real and it is very, very easy to get caught up in what someone else is doing, but in a way that kind of overtakes the quality of work that you've done and the growth that you've accomplished throughout the entirety of your time creating. So I ask you as some food for thought, for anyone listening to this podcast who is a creative, how do you personally measure your success as a creative? And if you think that you might have an answer to that, please share it with me. I would love to hear it. The Arrange Drop Corner podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all standard podcast streaming platforms. Until next time.